Can we give Jesus an amen here? Amen. Amen. Our scripture today comes from the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 8, and it says, Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord has promised an oath to you, to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that, does not, that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of your Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs, gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. A land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws and decrees that I am giving you to this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, Then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land and its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of a hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this well for me. But remember, the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his government, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. This is God's holy word for us this morning. Morning. Well, I don't know if you thought that was as awesome as I did when you have a 16, 17, 19-year-old leading worship. That's pretty awesome for a church, huh? Amen? You guys did a good job. And what I loved about it, I don't know where Brock is. I see Grace there. I see Sarah over there. What, what I thought was, holy cow, are we in the presence of the Holy Spirit? Amen? It doesn't matter whether you're as young as our piano player or as old as the worship leader. Uh, the world uh, that comes to a close, comes to a stop. When we're in the presence of God and God nourishes us, and I'm glad that you're here for that. A few more announcements before I start my talk than normal. First, um, you saw on the screen the Wesleyan Covenant Association is going to have its global simulcast here. That's it's one of many, 80 or 90 across uh, the U.S. Um, it is a paid event, so you have to pay 20 bucks if you want to come. So go online. Uh, I think it's good to learn what's going on in your denomination, and this is at least one perspective of of what's happening there. And we'd hope you could come back. A couple months ago, as you remember, we were collecting things for Christmas in Haiti. Um, we found out last year that it was easier, actually, and cheaper, much cheaper, to send one a couple of our uh, people 
down to Florida with them to, to, to send them over to Haiti, then to mail them down there. So they just got back this week and they met with the shepherds. Uh, there are missionaries in Las Cohobas, Haiti. Uh, Haiti is um, a political mess right now. So they're not receiving any missionaries, but they are receiving uh, goods and, of course, school tuition. So we certainly celebrate that ministry. And as you see on the screen, we have been part of Freedom Campaign now uh, since early September. And in two weeks from today, now, parents, this will be important for you to listen to. Two weeks from today, after this service, we're going to have hot dogs and s'mores. So, yeah, you don't have to make lunch that day on the 17th. Now, the reason we had Freedom and what we've been participating in Freedom is it's designed to help us grow healthy relationships with our money and to help us look at what's important through the eyes of faith. So a couple hundreds and some more have taken uh, the financial peace classes in this round. More than 100 or so had graduated earlier. So we hope you'll celebrate with us. And then one last thing. An important thing. As Brock mentioned, by the way, in, in a very seamless way, we are walking through a, word, a service of word and table two in the hymnal as our liturgy. If you're new here, we don't do hymnal very often in this service, nor is it if it's not Christmas or Eve or Easter, does Pastor Mike stand in a pulpit? Uh, but I'm going to do that today. Well, first of all, to see if I still can. And secondly, um, because I want to do liturgy a little bit different later. And so at the end of this talk, we're going to go into Holy Communion. And so if you've never been here before, um, listen to these instructions. Every, the rest of you, do what you've always done. So at the end of this, we take Holy Communion through a very simplistic way known as intinction. And you're all invited. doesn't matter if you go to another church to us. If it's, if it's hurtful for you, obviously don't come. But we take, uh, intention is simply, you take a piece of bread with your own hand. Uh, one of our stewards will probably say the words like the body of Christ or something like that to you. And then dip it into the cup with your own hand. We won't touch it after you do. And then place it in your mouth and then spend as much time praying as you would at the, uh, at the altar. Um, it's very simplistic. We hope it's very loving. And we're trying to give you time today for those prayers. Uh, if you're on a homebound communion team, uh, those elements are on my far right, your far left. And if you need gluten-free, you're going to need to come to this center aisle because we certainly want, wouldn't want anyone to be harmed in communion. So those are, that's our invitation and those are the instructions. Let's go. Would you mind taking a minute after announcements? Why don't we pray for the hearing of the gospel? Let's pray. God, as I uh, stand before this, your assembled congregation on this particular day, we know that this is a unique event because never for any purpose ever again will this exact combination of people ever be gathered in one place. And so we ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit might flow uniquely and individually to each one of them, that they might hear this message that I certainly have created in one way, but that they need to hear in whatever way you need to have them hear. So let what is said be the word eternal proclaimed to the gathered many, and let what is heard be the whispers, the nudging, the loud noise of your voice, as each one of us is needful of. In your name, God, we ask, amen. Now, this is more a story for dads, but moms, you get this one too. 
You know, I, I have, uh, like all of us, I have a routine. I usually come home 5.30 in the afternoon. Every once in a while, while my, my children were still living at home, I would be home earlier, maybe because there's too many folks in the, in, in the office or I needed to get something done for a night meeting or something like that. And uh, it never seemed to amaze me at how many times they might walk in at 3.30 or 4 in the afternoon and look at me and say, what are you doing here? I'm like, what am I doing here? And then I went into my, you know, Mike Morgan kind of snotty. I'm like, what am I doing here? I own this building. That room that you call yours, mine, 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 mine. Or hers, 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 hers. But not yours, 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 yours. What am I doing here? I own this. And I, you know, I used to laugh and they would be like, dude, roll their eyes at me. But which, by the way, as a parent of two now adult women, just, I'm just telling you guys down here in the front, you roll your eyes at me, pfft, no effect, okay? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, like we're in the 20,000s already, so I don't care. Um, see, they just all rolled their eyes at me, every single one of them. I mean, I just smile back at you. But, but when I would say, hey, this is my house, I was <clears throat> missing a basic theological Christian truth. Do I live in the house? Yes. But the basic Christian truth is anything that we have, we are to steward. We are to be the stewards of it. Now, I know that some of you that have been coming to the Christian church for a long time say, oh, man, if we're going to hear about stewardship, what that means is the pastor needs money. And that's not true. And neither is God short on cash. That's our, those are simple truths. What it means to steward something is that we're to manage it during the living of our days. We're to care for it, and we're supposed to manage and care for it in accordance with and in line with what God's intention is for all things and for the living of our lives. That's what stewardship means, because the bottom truth that we sometimes miss is that God owns it all. Mario said it. Brock said it. God owns it all. In Psalm 24, the the scripture that Mario started this very worship service with twice says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Everything is God. God owns it all. Psalm 50 goes on and says, for all the animals of the forest are mine. This is God speaking. And I own the cattle on a thousand hills. And I know every bird on the mountains and all the animals of the field are mine. He owns not only all that, but he owns the hills and the mountains those things reside on and the fields and the air as well. So we're going to try something. We're going to try something. And we're trying to assume it into our belief. So we're going to do a repeat after me, not hard words. Repeat after me. I'm going to ask you to try this. Okay? Try this. God owns it all. Let's try it again. God owns it all. Okay, left side now. God owns it all. Right side. Now together. Okay, I can't stay in the pulpit, but thank you. I'll be back. So, okay, we said it. And thank you for respect enough for the preacher to say, okay, we'll say it. And the question is, do we really believe it? Do we really believe that God owns it all? Because see, belief is mirrored in behavior. You can say just about anything, but what you do is who you are. What you do is what you believe. What you do is what your value structure is. We do our belief. So how are you doing against God owns it all? Before you answer, let's look at something that we all are involved in. I'm going to call it Me, Inc. Do you have that? Me, Inc. Me, Incorporated. 
third word most of us learn is mine. This is mine. We usually master that word before our third birthday. This is mine. This is my house, my wallet, my money, my clothes. I did all the work, not God. I didn't see him when I was working every day. I did it. So the question is, for those of you that have repeated aloud, God owns it all, where are you really at? Where are we really at with God owns it all? So often we'll say, man, I did this. I bought this home. I was able to manage my money to get the boat, so on and so forth. How? But scriptures warn us by warning our predecessors in the faith. What they warn us about is simply this. Self-sufficiency leads us away from God. It's kind of easy to be your own God if you think you did everything. We become that. It was God who brought Israel out of Egypt and provided for their every need. God brought them out of slavery. He's the one that provided the plagues that made Pharaoh finally say, get out. It was God that that opened the seas and then blew across them, made the sea hard ground long enough that two million human beings could walk through it and all their stuff. It was God who provided food in the morning, manna and quail at night. Every single day for 40 years, it was God who protected them in battle by by the pillar in front of them and by the water dropping on the soldiers of Egypt. It was God doing all these things. It was God that was out in front of them in the pillar of smoke in the front and in the pillar of fire behind that would lead them to a land that would be their own. And as soon as all this was happening, in the middle of all this happening, Israel complained. Not because they were so different from us. As a matter of fact, I think it was just because they're just like us. They're an image of us. They complained because they thought they earned all this. They thought they were earned all this because, after all, they were Israel. They, they were God's chosen people, so they deserved what they had. Because success blinds us from God's possessions. I don't think anyone in the history of the world had ever walked right through a lake before. I don't think anybody in the history of the world had, been, had, had food dropped down to them. As a matter of fact, in the scriptures it said food that they'd never seen before because it could only have one source, which is God. But they were blinded and they started saying, I'm responsible for this. I mean, I'm actually the one that goes out and collects the manna. It's not like God drops it into our house in jars. We have to pick it up ourselves. And we sometimes say that about our own stuff. I'm the one that went out and got a job. I'm the one that earns a salary. I'm the one that did all this thing. Everything that's happened is about, you know, me. Rather than the children of Israel saying, God has given us food in the morning and food at the night, and thereby we are sustained by God. We rarely say, I am so grateful that God has provided me opportunity, circumstance, and ability. But scripture directs us to acknowledge and remember that God owns it all. Look at Deuteronomy 8.15. Kelsey read some of those verses this morning, but on our way to communion, I want to reiterate just a few of them. Do not forget that he led you. He led you through the great and terrifying wilderness. That doesn't sound like a happy place. He led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions where it was so hot and dry. He gave you water from the rock. Now, I don't know how many of you have lived in a desert, 
But in the story of Israel, God says, hey, smack that rock and water's gonna flow out. That's not usually what happens. That's not usually what happens. We have to dig deep to find water. He doesn't just say, eh, hit the rock, water pours out. By the way, I've been there. It's still pouring out to this day. And geology has figured out a lot, but they can't figure that out. Huh. He fed you with manna in the wilderness, a food unknown to your ancestors. He did this to humble and test you for your own good. God did all the work. He did all the work for the Israelites. He even said, I don't know if you heard that when Kelsey said, your feet didn't even swell up. You didn't even get tired walking across the lake. You don't even get, you don't even get thirsty walking across the desert, living in there. I'm doing all the work. He led, I'll lead you through. God did it. He, he, he gave us what we needed. He fed us everything you have. God did it all. And he reminds us that you could not. He says to Israel, just remember who did this. And don't start thinking that you did it. And I remind you that you cannot, and therefore I humble and test you. Deuteronomy 8, 17 says this. He did all this so you would never say to yourself, now hear this in your North American 2019 clothes, I've achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Our nature is to say, I did it. I have it. I own it. And the scripture says, no, you did not. No, you have not. You had a lot of help. Do you really think the scripture says that those nudges that provided ability, uh, opportunity for you, that that ability that some of which you were born with and some of which you were able to develop, that those opportunities, do you really think that all that's coincidental? Do you? Deuteronomy says, remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenant he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. People of faith, we are to intentionally remember what God has done and is doing for us. And by the way, intentionally remembering is different from not forgetting, right? I have a lot of clues in my life to help me intentionally remember the blessed day of August 24th, 1985, when I outkicked the coverage and Teresa married me. I have it inside a ring. I have blazed it on my heart, and I cannot forget it. I even remember, I even remember that day is important when the Dallas Cowboys have a, pre, a, a preseason football game on that day. I was like, oh, I can't watch that. It's my anniversary. Because uh, I want to. I remember it. It's, it's one of the great days in my life, and, one, and obviously the greatest thing that's happened to me as a human being. But I remember that. But there's other things in my life that I try not to forget, like my son-in-law's birthdays. I try not to forget, but they're not blazed into my heart. She reminds me, as does Apple, you know. Oh, yeah, send a check. Cool. All right. I, I built them up last week. I, it, it's got to get even. Somehow. But we need to master our remembrance of what God has given to us and what he gives us. And if we do our belief, if we, if we live our belief, if we act our belief, our belief includes acknowledgement and remembrance that God owns it all. So um, last service, I had the choir sitting up here. I don't have them this time, so I, I depend on them. So I'm going to depend on you. How many of you have ever played Monopoly? Okay, keep your hands up just a minute. 
And, and if you've played it till the end, keep your hand up, where one person has everything. How many of you have played it to the end? Okay, thank you, good. Okay, so you know the game. There's a lot of people with this extra hour of sleep earlier this morning that didn't seem to know the game Monopoly, but we got into it. But here's what happens if you've played Monopoly all the way to the end is somebody ends up with all of it. But what I know for a fact is that this doesn't happen. When they end up with all the hotels and all the little houses, they don't put them in their pocket, they don't take their big pile of Monopoly cash and, and put it in their blazer and then go to Fairway the next day and say, I'd like $500 worth of grocery and give them the goldenrod colored $500 bill, do they? No, because then, then both you and I would get a call. One of you would say, oh, I think your husband's broke and they'd call him, Pastor Mike, you need to counsel this guy. But we, because here's what happens at the end of the game of Monopoly. No matter who wins, it all goes back in the box. It all goes back in the box. We sometimes think when we live our life that nothing goes back in the box. I've heard the expression, maybe you've even enjoyed saying it about someone you know. When he died, he was worth a billion dollars. No. He'd accumulated that much with the help of others. But when he died... It all goes back in the box. We don't get to take it from, I think we showed up in heaven with a billion dollars. God's like, what are you bringing change for? Right? Why would you you bring that? God owns it all. And here's the thing, and this is what we need to know. Not only does God own it all, but he spends it all on us. He spends every single thing on us, everything of his energy, everything of his love, everything of his care. He spends it on us. He created everything that is, is going to be, and and, and has been for our enjoyment, for our exploration, for our challenge. I mean, I really think God's like saying, man, I hope they figure out a way to get to Mars and then Jupiter and then ex-planet Pluto, because those are explorations and we can stretch ourselves. I, I hope they can figure out how, how to beat back cancer. I hope they can figure that out, because all of this is given to us for our, for our, for our, in, in the creation, for our enjoyment, our exploration, and our challenge. And God also then, as he gives us everything, he sustains it. He keeps it going. You know, you guys have been breathing in breath, since, oxygen since you got here. God keeps making more of that. He, he drops rain on, I know that we need some time to get out in the crops right now, but all that rain comes to nourish and, and all that sort of thing. But our daily operations are provided for us, not by us. I have no way how to make oxygen. Do you? I mean, like I know the formula of water because I learned it in like fourth grade, but I don't know how to con- concoct it, right? So I'm, I'm counting on God sustaining me in that way. And not only that, but when things go bad, God loves us so much that he redeems everything. He brings it back to its full value. He restores it. And why does God do all this? Well, why does God give it all to us? Because he loves us. We say, if, if you ask someone here that is still full-fledged in their work life, I'll bet the 90% answer to this question, why do you work? Their first, one of their first two answers is going to be to provide for my family or to provide for someone else. Why does God give us all this? To provide for his family. And we are his family. 
We are the family of the living God. We're provided with opportunity that we don't even understand completely and fully. We're provided with these abilities. Why are some of you guys awesome in math? Why can people like me not even figure out how letters inserted themselves in math? Okay? There, there ain't no why in math, right? Well, why, why are, is it that some of you can read Harry Potter from front to end and you have an inclination to that and I get to page 30, you know, I'm, why? Well, we, we are all given different abilities. We all have different inclinations and interests. And a lot of those we even say, well, she has the God-given ability. Now, if we do our faith and live our belief, we actually believe that. And I think God loves us in such ways that he provides for us circumstances. So many things line themselves up. And if you look back at your life, you know, pull yourself back for a little bit, you can see how so many circumstances line themselves up that God advanced you to the place you were. Now, some of us have a bigger stack of cash than others, but the circumstances still have been provided by and guided by God. And most importantly, it doesn't matter how much stuff you think you have or how much debt you think you're in. God provides us all with the same infinite value and worth. We are priceless and our worth is endless. By the way, tweet that. We are priceless and we're endless. That's the value God puts on us. So what response does God desire in all this? Just two. Thanksgiving, when you're satisfied or good things happen to you, give thanks to God for all that God is doing and has done and plans to do for you in the future. We thank God for our meals. A lot of us say grace before every meal. And the question is then, do we thank God for our paychecks? We say, well, I earned it. Well, yeah, but did you thank God for the opportunity to have that provided for you? Do we thank God for our abilities our opportunities and our circumstances in doing our belief. Part of doing our belief is giving thanks to God. God also desires us to respond by the righteous or through the righteous use of what he has given us. We're to manage well that which we have. I mean, that was part of what's behind freedom is to help us manage well that which we have because some of us have more, some of us has, have less, but we need to manage well. That's what a steward is. We, we respond to God by, by righteously using the days he's given us, by, by working hard and enjoying life because if we're working hard and enjoying life, we, sh we, we should enjoy And if we don't, we're doing life wrong. Uh, yes, of course, we have various maladies and, and hardships, and yes, God walks us through all those things. And if we respond in the righteous use of what God has given us, of course we're able to give joyously and generously. I don't know if you saw that big pile of stuff out there that people saw. I mean, all we did was announce it in the bulletin and put it in the newsletter that you can bring stuff to take the veterans for, for their food drive and their clothes dye. That, that, that table was full before the 815 service because there are enough of us that see that is a righteous response to God is to give joyfully and generous to that and, of course, probably to the offering plates that come around later and all that sort of thing. And when we, when we offer response to God, we remember how much God has done that we might have abundant life because God created and owns it all. He spends it all, truly, truly everything 
which is why most Christian churches have a cross in front of us because they remind us that God spent everything. Because if you ask me to spend everything, my everything includes my children. And God spent his child in love for us and the us that preceded and follows this group. And that is why, that is why we take Holy Communion. That is why we will go home with these, these tastes of juice and, and bread on our lips. That is why to remind ourselves and to specifically and importantly and dynamically and tangibly remember that God owns it all. And because he owns it all, he can give it all to us. This is the word of God for you. And I pronounce it all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.